Welcome to my Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a winger who has been spoken about so many times on this podcast. He's been so many teams and we finally managed to get, get him on the podcast. It's fantastic. Um, played at Swindon, Luton, um, Tampa Bay, and also then went back to Swindon again and managed Macclesfield um, a little while ago as well. Today we are joined by David Mock. How are you, David? Lovely to be here, guys. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Looking forward to this. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm giving it a lot of thought. Excellent, excellent. Marvin, how are you? Um, how are you? Well, how are you? I'm good. Andrew, I'm great. Um, like you just explained there, um, Mossy, um, obviously, um, was it mean, started at Swindon, but like made a big impact at Luton and Unfortunately for me, I'll say, um, didn't get the chance to be involved with Mossy at the club because I think he left the season I joined as an apprentice. So um, I heard great things about Mossy and about obviously what he brought to the club. And obviously being a, a young um, aspiring player to, to become a professional at the club, knew a lot about him and a lot about his creativity and what he was doing to a lot of defences in the in the English league um, as I was coming on through. So I'm fantastic to have him on, on board. Definitely, definitely. Have you have you listened or have you heard about um, the number of number of times you've been in so many teams? Honestly, Mossy, you've been in so many teams. Have you heard any podcasts or have you heard from your friends? I know you're quite close, quite close with Saxby and people like that. I've heard a few of your podcasts. Yeah, really enjoyed them. Uh, and also, obviously, keep in touch with a few of the lads um, with an annual golf tournament. And in fact, I'm meeting up with all the ex-players and staff uh, next week, a catch up before Christmas. So I'm really looking forward to that. I know David Pleat's going to be there, John Sheridan uh, and a lot of ex-players. And a lot of the players will be in my team. So I'm really looking forward to that meeting. Excellent. Well, you can speak to Pleaty because Pleaty had you in his team, didn't he? So that, that must be quite humbling in itself um, with the title with the great, with, you know what I mean, with all, the plethora of players who he managed and he picked you in the team. How did that make you feel when, when you heard that? Or I did listen to David, yes. I thought I was, I was very pleased to be in because he's obviously been involved with a lot of top players. Um, and I owed him so much, you know, that he, him bringing me from Swindon to Luton uh, and encouraging me to play the way I play and the way his team wanted to play. Uh, so I owe David Fleet a, a great deal. We'll probably dig into that a little bit more later on. So those people who haven't heard the podcast before, first-time listeners, um, David will go through his best 11 players he's ever set foot on a pitch with in a professional game. It could be one game. It could be hundreds of games. We're not worried. Um, and as he goes through, he's going to give a couple of clues to see if myself and Marv can guess the players, therefore allowing you at home or on the train or wherever you are in your car to have some guesses as well. And I know, speaking off air before, um, David said that some players um, have missed out and so he's had to make some tough choices. So as ever, honourable mentions are allowed. So start off with formation. So what's your formation and how do you come up with a formation? Well, I think 4-3-3, three, three, uh, Andrew, it was what we played at uh, Luton. It was what I was used to playing at Swindon in my younger days. Um, and it seems to be the modern trend nowadays. So I think uh, all credit to David, he was ahead of his time. You know, people talk about the systems nowadays, but we were doing it 30, 40 years ago. So um, it's going to be 4-3-3. Three, three. Do you think it goes around in cycles, the kind of formations? It's just, it's just fashion. Or do you think there's 
Um, or what's, what's the reason, do you know what I mean, why it just goes around every kind of 15, 20 years? I think it does evolve, yeah, and I think it goes around. Um, 442 was played for so many years, and then that's sort of gone out of fashion. And I think the 433 came more from the European and South American type football, you know, playing with uh, one main striker and a number 10. And, you know, it, it's sort of all the European leagues play that way. And it came to the UK and um, it seems to be the way at the moment. I still have, I still think there's a, there's room for playing two strikers up front, but uh, I just get labelled as an old dinosaur. So I, I don't mind. I, I have my views on that, but I, I, I like the 4-3-3 when it's played properly and played, you know, with a, with pace and a purpose, then it's a, it's a great formation. Which one suited your your style, playing style best? Did you feel Definitely you preferred? 4-3-3. Yeah. And on the, on the left-hand side of that, front three? Yeah, definitely. And, and the way we played at Luton, to be fair, was there was a 4-3-3, but it was Brian and, and Walshy mainly up front, or Steve White and, and Steenie up front, and me on the left or the right, but Jen 90% of the time on the left-hand side. So we were a little, it could look a little bit unbalanced, but of course we had a gentleman on the right side of the, the midfield three that, that's capable of doing a, a job for two men. Well, I won't go into too much detail on that one yet. But no, it's, it's my, it's my favourite. That'll be the worst secret, that will. The worst yeah, secret. Know, let's face it. <laughs> doesn't take but a genius we'll to work with, it out. Exactly. We'll start off with goalkeepers. So over to you. You can either do one we mentioned before, or after that, it's up to you. Well, the goalkeeper situation, I joined in 1978. Uh, Amelia Lexic was the first team goalkeeper in those days. I think even in those days, young Alan Judge was backup or, or youth team player. So coming through the ranks, Alan always seemed to be on the scene. And then later in 78, uh, a guy came to Luton, Jake Finley from Aston Villa. I think he'd only played about a dozen games for Villa's first team, but um, as was the case with uh, David Pleat and his coaching staff or scouting staff, they seemed to find uh, players for every position. And Jake came in and I think he made the number one spot his own. But of course, in later years after Jake was Les Seeley, Andy Dibble, uh, great keepers in their own right. So it's, um, you know, it was it was quite a difficult choice, but... I'm obviously going with someone that I know and played with for a longer period of time. Um, do I need to say the name? Do you want me to tell um, you now? We're going to try and guess. We're going to try and guess, Marcy. Yeah. You, you, have you mentioned him just a minute ago in those names you just said? Yes, I've mentioned him, but I haven't, I haven't I, selected him. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm going to I'm going to throw my hat out there. I'm going to say that it's Jake. You're right, mate. Big Jake. You know goalkeepers, Marvin. They're all they're all crackers, <laughs> and Jake was no different. Probably the most uh, insane of the lot, I would say, in a nice way, but a top goalkeeper as well. He's been in a lot of people's teams, hasn't he, Andrew? Um, and going back to what you said about being um, a goalkeeper and all round and being a bit crazy, yes, we know. But I think a few players have mentioned about how good Jake was technically as well with the ball. Very good. That, you can you can back up as well. Very good, mate. And he he, he dominated his. I think David Pleat wanted. Melia Lexic was a great shot stopper, and in his six yard box, he was he he got the nickname Elastic, didn't he? But Jake would dominate the eighteen yard box, and David wanted a goalkeeper that would come and dominate and punch and catch the ball and 
you know, knock, knock defenders out of the way in doing so. And, and he was brilliant at it. And yes, besides his um, goalkeeping prowess, he was good with his feet. And he used to think he was a good outfield player. And uh, with the ball in his feet, he could ping it and, and you know, accurately find his target. No. So, just thinking about goalkeepers back then, I mean, you've spoken about, lots of people have spoken about using your feet. Um, my perception as a fan is it wasn't as important then as it is now because obviously the back pass rule, you could still pass the ball back. So why did Sleepy feel the necessity to have a, a goalkeeper that could use his feet when technically he could pick the ball up and get the ball passed back to him? Do you know what I mean? I think, uh, Andrew, it was because we played a lot on the counter-attack. And, and if Jake had the ball in his hands, he was well capable with a half volley or a drop kick to, you know, release myself or Steeny or Walshy or whoever it might be, Steve White. Um, and he was he was pretty good at it. It wasn't usually off the floor, but, you know, like you say, the back pass rule has ch- uh, hadn't changed then. So uh, very often Jake would catch it and immediately look for a quick kick and he was like I say pretty good at it. Right. So you're talking about kind of direct passing rather than all these fancy choice terms that all the day all the day keepers do you see these days. Yeah, I'm talking about ability with his feet, accuracy with his kicking. Um I think had Jake started doing the six yard box twists and turns that you see nowadays, I think Fleeting would have probably hauled him off. Maybe maybe some of the centre halves might have hauled him off as well. I'm not sure but uh, <laughs> When we actually trained, Jake loved to play out, as most goalkeepers do, and he actually thought he was good. But, you know, he used to get some right stick, especially off his big mate, Kirk. But all, all in good fun, mate. I thought he was a top-class goalkeeper. Excellent. Definitely. Definitely. So, we will move to right-back. Well, right-back limited in as much that one player dominated the period that I was at the club. And in my opinion, a top-class younger player was coming through. Um, you'll all know the right back because he's he's also sort of on the on the crazy the spectrum, um, but a great lad, uh, big mates with the goalkeeper. Did he play for commentary as well? Yeah, competitive, brilliant in the air for about five foot seven. Used to jump, head it, uh, do everything. Infectious character. Got on really well with Kirk on and off the pitch. So. I'm having to. I'm having to say you. You won't have to guess, Marv, because he's been in a lot of the teams. I think right. he's actually been on. As I, I, I may have missed his podcast. Has he been? No, on? he's not. He's not. He's not. He's not been on. He's, he's someone who I want to get on again. It's another person who, like, is bashes. Like again, similar to yourself, Mossy, who I knew a lot of and heard a lot about of, and met on a couple of occasions, and just was infectious in the times that I. I mean, I was around him because they just seemed like a typical, typical lad who. Were, it was like a lads lad who liked to laugh, liked to giggle and was just there for the banter sort of thing. So, you know, he's another one who I'd love to get on him. Yeah, he was, he's great. I mean, I'll mention it when I see him next week. I'll say to yes, him that it'd be great. Yeah. Marvin would love to have you on the show and uh, I'm sure he's got a lot to offer, but top class. I mean, Pleaty snapped him up for about 5,000 quid, I think. Wow. Um, you know, it was such a bargain from Nuneaton Borough, but... I couldn't believe the lad when I first started training. He joined at the same time as me. We both started at pre-season 1978. And I thought, there's a young lad joined from non-league. Let's, let's see what he's like. Well, he was outstanding immediately. So you knew that he was going straight into the first team. Um, the other guy that I'm, I was pushing for the position 
Uh, Marv was a younger player, came through in about 83, 84, top-class player, moved on to a Premier League club or First Division close days. Uh, great guy as well, but a smashing player, had a lovely career. You'll probably know him. Tim? Tim Breeks. Tim Breeker. Yeah, but um, my choice has got to be the, the Basher man. Basher. He was, he, I mean, again, like I said, it, again, before my time, Mossy, but I mean, um, an out and out like defender and, and uh, the nickname Basher, obviously, someone who probably got stuck in. I mean, for you being a, a winger and being one of those creative sort of players, was, was, was Basher someone who probably you would like look forward to playing against or someone who you'd probably think like, okay, I'll have to have been there. What's about me to be quite a little bit intelligent how I might approach the game when training or whatever, playing against a player of that as of magnitude. He was a nightmare to train against uh, Marv because he played, he, he trained as he played like that. And I thought, you know, the best place, the best way to play um, against Basher is from the other wing. So I'd probably <laughs> drift over. I drift over to the other side for a few minutes in training <laughs> but, you, but you would have had him on your team, mate. You you would have loved him. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So left back, let's go across to there. Big decision, left back, Andrew. Um, it was a position that wasn't really nailed down for a few years. A lot of changes there. When I first went, uh, a young lad from Newport County, Pleaty had signed it just before me as well in 1978. You probably remember a him, Azerwood. Yeah, Mark Aislewood. Yeah, um, Wayne Turner fitted in and out of left back, you know, replacing people who were injured, etc. Uh, I think in 1982, we signed Richard Money from Liverpool. Yeah, yeah he came on loan yeah. initially, yeah. did really well and stayed and Pleaty signed Richard. And a young kid, just, you'll again, you'll know him, Mar, just pushing through whoever was playing left back. There was this young guy, coming up on the rails that was pushing everybody and Mitch ended up being, yeah ended up being a top class player moving on to Spurs um for a young player with confidence almost arrogance in training and stuff like that it used to annoy me to be fair <laughs> because I couldn't go pa- I couldn't get past him with his great big long legs um and I think that the little upstart you know what I mean but he was a top class player Pleaty had an eye for, you know, these young kids. He would he would have no hesitation in throwing them into the team. And you know what happened with Mitchell. He just went from strength to strength. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a problem position for a few years. Nobody really, you know, Richard was, I think Richard Money had 18 months with us. Or, right. Uh, Mark Hazelwood, right. about two seasons, maybe something like that. You know, it, it, it kept changing. Rob Johnson, did he figure a little bit as well? Sorry, Rob. Rob Johnson, did he did he figure a little bit? Rob Johnson, Rob, would, Rob, yeah, Rob would fit in a little bit like um, like Wayne. He played a few matches. He was a right footer, though, wasn't he, Rob? He would yeah, play right. He, was, yeah. play. he would, but he was a good footballer. Rob Johnson, he could play left back, uh, play right back. Had terrible luck with his cruciate injuries. Uh, smashing lad, and a, another one worth a mention. So, but I think for for a top class player. I'm, I'm going for Mitchell, mate. Mitchell, yeah, Mitchell, yeah. I played, Mitchell. yeah, yeah. Like you said, I spoke. I mean, I played with Mitchell when, uh, when he he come back the second time after um, coming back to Luton, and you know, like you said, he was very um, 
competitive, um, became a really close friend of his. And like you said, um, borderline on, on, on annoying um, at times of, of like, <laughs> this is reliability of why, yeah, I'll be, I'll, he'll organize something with you. And then next thing he'll, he'll not turn up and it'd be a case of like, oh, I had to go and do this. And, but again, you, everyone, I mean, you have to love Mitch because obviously of how he was as a, as a person and as a character. So, you know, any and anything but love for Mitchell for me. Top class player, mate. Yeah. And went on to demonstrate that, didn't he, when he went to Tottenham? Yeah. Tottenham. Did he go Burnley as well? Went Burnley, yeah. He went in Burnley, he went West Ham. Yeah, he had, he had a couple of clubs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, so, I just want to... Go on, go on, man. Oh, Marcia, yeah. I just want to touch on, obviously, you started at Swindon in 71. So what, it, I mean, what was was you an apprentice or was you a scholar there? How, how, did, you, how did it come about? What, what was... I mean, for me, how I know of you, of you, you're very um, creative, skillful, and like you was like literally a little bit of a an entertainer in my in my view, like the likes of like you know Peter Barnes, the Stan Bowles, those sort of players. And you you was different to a lot of people. So how did it come about that you becoming a winger and getting involved in the game as a young kid? I I went to Swindon. In fact, I, I was signed from non-league. Um, Marvin, I didn't, I didn't sign an apprenticeship or, uh, as it is nowadays, a scholarship or whatever. It, um, I, I was 16 and I was offered a, uh, a contract at Swindon and I was offered a contract at Oxford United. But to wait until I turned 17 before I signed, because I was, I was going to go straight in as a professional, as opposed to six months as a, 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 an apprentice and then, and then sign a professional. So You, you was that good then? Sorry, mate. You was that good. They they value you was that good at that age. They were seeing, seeing you the potential of that age at sixteen. That you was that good. That they wanted you to sign as a professional. Then I'm not sure I was that good. I think they were probably just saving six months apprenticeship <laughs> money. I'm not sure, <laughs> but that that's how I got in. And I, I Swindon was my club that I supported as a youngster. So there was no choice really. I, I had the chance to go to Oxford, but uh, I went to Swindon and. Uh, for the first couple of years, mate, it was tough. I got nowhere near the first team, played in the reserves, played in the A team. Um, but the good thing was in those days, Marv, if you were in the reserves, you played on a Saturday at three o'clock on the main pitches. So I played in the football combination. So, you know, you're playing at Highbury and White Hart Lane and Stamford Bridge, uh, Upton Park. When you're playing against international players that are not in their first team yeah. so the reserve yeah. football in those days was a great grounding and, and, and a great learning curve for young players and I used to come off the pitch some games and I hadn't, I hadn't kicked the ball really I hadn't seen the ball because I was just lost if you know what I mean playing against international players and, and renowned first team players but it also teaches you that you've got to a you've got to improve and you've got to stamp your authority on these games because some of the players you played against probably didn't want to be there in the reserves, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. immediately you started having a go and taking them on. They'd have a word with you, you know, like you, you do that again, son, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to put you over the stand, you know, things like that. So it was a, <laughs> it was a quick learn, to be fair. It was a good learning curve. And, and that's how I got started at Swindon. But it took me two or three years to get into the first team and get established. Uh, a lot of barriers on the way, mate. But was that something though, Marcy, as a as a I don't know, an eight or nine year old when you're playing like with your mates and stuff? It was something that you wanted to do to become a professional. Most definitely, most definitely. From the age of seven, I can remember 
at seven years of age playing for the primary school. I was the youngest player ever to play for the primary school. So you're talking about under 11s and I was seven. So they stuck me on the wing because I was small and frail and, and I stayed on the wing for the rest of my life because I was always frail. <laughs> but um, always my dream, mate, to, to, you know, I played football all the way through until playing for the county and district and never got to the England level, but county level, uh, Whitney and district where I was, where I grew up. And when you get to that level, you know yourself, you're going to get watched by scouts and stuff. So I actually signed for Spurs as a 14-year-old. I signed schoolboy forms for, for Tottenham. And I went up one Easter holiday, I think it was, for a week and trained with the apprentices. And I hated every minute of it, mate. It was too much for me, Mark. I was 14. I'd never really left the, the town where I was brought up. And suddenly I'm up in London and I'm getting trains and, and buses and going to the going to White Hart Lane and meeting up with the apprentices and training with them and I couldn't cope with it and at the end of that week the great Bill Nicholson said to me we're not offering you an apprenticeship son you're too small and we think you need to go back to your roots and start to you know start playing again and developing and I was I was happy to hear those words uh, Marvin to be honest. So it wasn't I mean I mean it wasn't a disappointment from your point of view it was like a bit of a um, a release that you 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 that you can get free and go back and grow at Swindon, basically. It's exactly. Well, well, I had to go back and play for my local team for Whitney Town, and um, it's exactly how I felt when I came back and I told my mum and dad that uh, what had happened and did you enjoy it? I said no, I didn't enjoy it. I said I felt completely isolated, and although the lads were good, you know the apprentices and that, I was nowhere near their level speed wise strength wise anything like that and uh, just just glad when it was all over and I could go back home and into my comfort zone but I had to kick on again Marv I had to go and play for the county and then start showing that I could you know develop as a footballer and develop some more skills and, and luckily I, I managed to great wow interesting so we are going to move to centre back um across your get back to your team and then we'll stick back into your history in a little bit later on, Mossy. So, centre-back. Yeah. Well, centre-back, played with some great centre-backs over the years. Um, a couple of them, Paul Price was was in the team when I first came to Swindon. Paul was a, you know, a very good player. Uh, moved on, moved on to Spurs. Captain Wales, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. So, really good player. He, he was in the team when I first went there. Um Young Mal Donaghy came the same time as myself and Kirk joined joined that summer uh, from nowhere from Larn in in Northern Ireland and immediately caught my eye during training and that because he was just a Rolls Royce he whatever the training session was Mal was at the forefront of everything powerful quality great guy quiet guy um, just got on with it said, cheerio, see you tomorrow. And that was Mel Donaghy. No, no airs and graces, no fuss. Uh, but a wonderful, wonderful player. Had a fantastic career. A bit later on, I was joined in, the, in my last year. Another great character and a real top player. A real captain. You'll know him, Marvin. Bobby. Uh, yeah. Wore a headband like you did, Marv. Wore a headband. Big Fozzy was a top player, Fozzy. But... Uh, Probably only there, what would I say, with uh, half a season, I think. I think he came in the transfer window or something of my last season. So, But I maintained that 
the signings of Pete Nicholas, uh, Fozzie and Mick Harford kept the club up without a shadow of doubt, kept that team in the first division. Without them, we had no 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 chance. That was the spine, a new spine for that team. I was coming to the end of my career, but um, that was the beginning of great things for Luton, as we all know. Honourable mentions as well to other players. Clive Goodyear came in as a young youngster from nowhere, really. Uh, replaced uh, another tremendous player, Mike Saxby, who had an awful knee injury. Another top-class player, Sax. Uh, some real good footballers there and some strong characters. You also, you oh, also had um, Colin Caldwood at Swindon. He went on to Spurs. Yeah. You got, got a few from Swindon. Yeah. My, last, my last one, my last year at... Um, Swindon was that was a waste waste of time, mate. I was my body was finished. I knew I was finished, mate. I was hoping that I could get another another year or two, but no chance. Colin was a young player. Colin Calder was a brilliant player. He came, he signed at, again the same time I I rejoined Swindon, and another that went on to a fantastic career. Mm. And I have to I have to give a mention to a, a a real inspiration for me when I. When I first went to Swindon, he took an interest in me and he became player coach. And he's sadly, very sadly, just passed away. Frank Burrows, brilliant centre-back, great coach. And I owe Frank a lot, a great deal. So the news this week that um, he passed away was tremendously upsetting. But a brilliant player and a, and a wonderful coach and a, and a lovely person. So I'd like to mention... And Chris Ramsey, the, the also play with as well, I think. Rams was a, a right back. Uh, yeah. Yes, that he, was, he was a strange one, Rams, because <laughs> I think he still lived in, he was coming from Brighton or was he London? I can't remember. He used to commute every day to Swindon via train. And I think he was, whether he was living in London or whether he was living still in Brighton, where he was, where he finished. Anyway, every morning, Rams, he, he would get there on time for training every day. <laughs> Seriously. And I thought, how the hell, heck are you just managing to, Get yourself to Swindon every morning for training, knowing that our friend, Mr. Lou Macari, is probably not going to, you're not going to see a football. You're just going to run around the pitch until you can't run anymore. And then you're going to get back on the train and go back to London. But Rams, he was a great character. And after training every day, anybody dropped me off at the station. So whoever, yeah, I'll drop you off. Dropped him off. See you tomorrow. That was it, Rams. Coming on the train, do whatever we had to do. Jump in the, jump on the train and go home. I don't know how the heck he managed to do that for a couple of years. So who's your first centre-half you're choosing? Sorry, Marv. So who's your first centre-half you're choosing? Which one? The first one I'm going for because I, I looked at his record and believe it or not, he played over 100 games with with me. So I'm going for the big fella that got injured, uh, had a terrible knee injury. But in my honest opinion, I think he would have gone on and played in the first division and possibly played for England had he not got injured. Big, big sacks. Yeah, exactly. Big sacks. I'm going for sacks because, you know, like I say, Fozzy, Paul Price, I played for a couple of years or year and a half with Paul and Steve Foster just came in the last few months of my time there. So um, definitely going for Mike Saxby. But like I say, but for injury, he would have had a fantastic yeah. career. No, I, I heard that as well. I mean, like you said, um, again, like, I think David Pleat signed him for, I, not, I mean, a good amount of money. I mean, and he was like a, a, a again, Ricky speaks about it. Like he was technically a, one of those ones who was comfortable on the ball as well, which was rare in those days for a centre back not to just head and kick people. So, 
Sachs had that little bit ability to bring the ball out of defence. He could play. He was dominant in the air, Marv. Dominant. In both boxes, he was a threat uh, for us in the opponent's box. But in our box, he was dominant. But he could play. He could pass the ball. He could ping it out to the wing. He could, you know, thread it through into midfield players. He could dink a ball over the midfield into the front players. He could actually play. And another great sign-in, I think. Like you say, though, it wasn't cheap. Mm-hmm. I think you know, 200000 or more for um, what was a third division sign-in in those days, I think, from Mansfield. Yeah. So a great, another piece of great, a great piece of work from David Pleat and his staff. But a top player. Yeah, Sachs definitely is. And a top, top guy as well. Very funny, man. He's just, a great yeah, guy, just, uh, I'm looking forward to be- seeing him next week. <laughs> yes. Just before you go over to the other centre half, I just want to touch on something you just mentioned there. Um, Lou Macari, yeah, is, is renowned for like being fitness and running. And you, and you sort of like was it you resigned at Swindon under Lou, uh, knowing them what sort of I mean how I perceive how your game is about the ball and taking people on that would be seen as a strange decision, or maybe it was the lure of Swindon being your. Your club maybe was the factor in that move. That was that was the initial lure for me. Um, going back that way, I think my my wife at the time she wanted to move back that way. The family, so it looked it looked good on paper. Uh, and having spoke to Lou, I loved his enthusiasm. Got on really well with him, and he said to me, "Listen," he said, "I've got loads of young players. Some of them can't play, but they can run." Uh, I want you to, you know, give a bit of quality on the left-hand side for me, take set pieces, uh, create some chances and maybe score a few, you know, the odd goal yourself. And it sounded it sounded lovely. Um, in reality, when I got there and the, the pre-season started, I knew within about 20 minutes that I'd made a hell of a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> to, to put it mildly, Marvin, we... After a while, we didn't see eye to eye, I must admit. But <laughs> I laugh at it now, and you, you've got to look back and say, well, it, it was one of those things. But some, they had some good players there at the time, and it's a smashing club. But I've, I've seen Lou since since those days, and we've spoken. There's no hard feelings. Just get on with life, don't you? Right. We didn't, right. didn't suit each other, I think. But pre-season was something new, mate. We didn't see a lot of the football, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Okay, I can, I tell you one, can I tell you one on. story about Jamie? No, session? I love, listen, Mossy, any stories you have, please, honestly, we love the stories. I love, especially me, I love the stories. This, this, this was a true one about Lou. He had, a, he had a dog who used to come in training with him every day. He'd turn up at the ground. I mean, the players would be there first. You know, the manager's usually there at eight o'clock or something. I think Lou used to come in about 10 to 10 with his dog and wander in. And the dog was called Rocky. And every day, Rocky was out on the training pitch with us. So he'd be chasing balls and doing this, that. And uh, one day at the end of the session, we all just started to walk in and Lou called us all back. He went, right, oh, out, all of you, out on the training pitch. And the, the training pitch then was a massive park. I couldn't see the far side. I was like this. If he said, run around that tree, I said, which tree? He said, just keep running. You'll find it. It was that type of thing. But talking about Rocky... On this particular day, Lou said, right, everybody line up in a straight line. And he sent the dog. He, he said, Rocky, go. And the dog just legged it as far as it could. And the call was, you've got to touch Rocky. Every player had to touch Rocky 
before they could go in. So that you see all these young lads chasing this dog around the field, diving at it, trying just to touch it. And and I sat there on the side of the pitch with another, I won't say who it was, with another player. And I I went, what am I doing? I am not going chasing Rocky, diving in dog, well, I nearly said it there, diving in dog mess and all this over this park. I'll touch him when he comes back in. And that was the type of, (laughs) that was the type of thing that Lou uh, Lou would come up with strange, but uh, I suppose looking back, funny days. But but kind of, I mean, again, I think quite smart on your part. I would have waited as well. I think I would have waited till he, he's got to come in at some point. So I'll touch him when he comes in. I've just would have waited. That's smart. I think that's smart. Why would you go and chase it when it's like running around like a blue ass fly? Wait till he's got to come in sometime, or just oh, I would have gone in and got a piece of ham or some sort of food. And come out and try to call him and try to <laughs> feed him. him in. Yeah. I think he just thought he just thought I was being lazy. That's all he thought, and he was probably right. But uh, it was it was funny at the time, mate. Oh, definitely. So next to Saxby, who have we got? Next to Sax. Yeah, you've gone through a few names. I'm assuming it's going to be the Northern Irishman. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not going to. I'm not. There's no real other choice. Some great names I've mentioned, but. Um, the guy that comes in alongside Sachs is a was a phenomenal player. Never, ever, I don't think I ever saw him have a bad game. Filled in it right back, filled in it left back, filled in it uh, centre mid, defensive midfield. You could have stuck Mal up front for a game and he would have been one of the best players. Rolls-Royce of, a, of an engine uh, and a great, great lad as well. Did his work, went home, no fuss, no airs and graces, no Ferrari in the car park. No designer gear, unlike Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> I, funny, funny enough, I, I really got my first um, my break into the team um, when Mal left to go to United. And um, I never, I mean, I think I might have played with Mal, funny enough, once, even when he was, when he was there, because obviously him and Fozzie formed this great partnership. And, and you would have thought that, I mean... I would have got a lot more opportunity to play with Mal than I would have Fozzie, but it was a it was a case where Mal got injured, like very rarely, but like he was like one of those players as you know, Mossy, who would play through anything, sort of thing. And I um, first got my first game when it was a case where Mal was struggling for like probably about two or three weeks, and I was named a sub um, when we had sub two subs only in those days, and it was a case where I was sub. In the very first game, because Ray Harper was manager and said, look, Mal's struggling and, you know, you're going to have to have you as one of the subs on the bench to 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 be able to come on should he need to come off. And it went on for two weeks. I think it was first game I was sub, first time ever. And I absolutely pooed my pants. It was at Highbury um, at Arsenal and I was like sub. And it was a case where, get up, warm up. Mal's gone down. Get up, warm up. And it's like, oh my gosh, my heart was beating constantly and stuff. But, <laughs> He got through the game as Mel does. And I'm thinking, wow, it was a case where I was nervous, but I thought it would be great to make my debut. But at the same time, I was that nervous. I thought, I don't want to go on and I can play in front of like at Highbury. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I was 18, 19. And so the following week, um, I, I think we, we were playing at home somewhere and the same thing. He was like injured and like, get warmed up, get warmed up. And then it was a case where the following week now, he got through that game and the following week now, it was a case where the Monday, 
no, Mal was like done. I mean, and for him to get through those two games, what he got through must have been, I don't know how he did it, but I knew the following week I was going to be playing my, my debut against Wimbledon at Plough Lane. So yeah, Mal, I mean, Mal was a warrior. I mean, a, a typical warrior. And like you said, he didn't complain, didn't moan about anything, just got on with his job. And like you said, came in, did his job, by see you Monday. <laughs> that was it sort of thing. A terrific player. That was it, but I don't ever recall him missing games when I was there in the seven years I was there, Mark. I may be, I may be mistaken, but I don't ever think he missed a game through injury. I can't remember no. him being out of, out of the team for a period. He was just Mr. Consistency every week. No, well, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. For him, for him to like, for, like I said, for me to eventually make my debut alongside Fozzie, I knew that when Mal didn't was didn't make the week to declare himself not fit, I knew he had, he was going to be out for a while because, like you said, he never missed he never missed no. anything, and he no. got through those those other two games prior prior to that. When I was sub, he must have been like on the brink of like literally going through the brick wall you know, to get through those games himself. So, yeah, a terrific player. Definitely. Oh, class yeah. player, mate. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause it there and then when we come back from our break, we will hear um, the rest of Mossy's My Best Lessons and also Marv's Lessons. Welcome back to the second part of My Best Eleven with David Moss. I'm going to hand straight over to Mark for Mark 60 seconds. Over to you, Mark. All right, Marcy, just um, as quick as you can, whatever like, answer comes straight to your head, um, I'm just going to ask you some questions, random questions. Okay, VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Um, golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. Favourite other sport? Cricket. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. If you could change one rule in the game, what would it be? Oh, less substitutes. Mm, that's a good one. I like that. Um, best ground you played at? Favourite ground or best ground? I think Anfield. Bundesliga, La Liga or Serie A for quality? La Liga. Okay. If you wasn't a footballer, what would you have done? I would have been an accountant. Okay. Um, best live player you've seen? George Best. One more, Mal. Okay. Swindon, Oxford or Luton, Watford, Derby? Which would you... I think... Oh, that's a tough one, Marvin. <laughs> come on. Come on. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Luton, Watford. <laughs> that's not fair. Right. Right there, but listen, thank you for answering. No, that's good. That's not... Thank you for answering it. Do you just... Do you not like any teams who wear yellow then? Is that the theory? Sorry. Sorry, Andrew. Do you not like any teams that wear yellow? Is that your theory then? Uh, I might be. It must. No, I actually worked in Oxford, though. You know, coaching. So Oxford, very close to my heart, as well as the clubs I played for. I had a smashing five-year stint at Oxford coaching. So they're one of my favourite teams, one of my favourite clubs. But you know the ones down the road, don't you? Obviously, come on. We're not going to be uh, saying too many nice things about Watford, are we? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm ready to roll the pod. Unwritten rule of the podcast. We, I call it. I call it the yellow team. <laughs> just to find out a bit more about um, obviously your career, you went over to the states um, for a little while. Can you just explain how that kind of came about and how it was being in America? And obviously, back it wasn't the MLS as it is seen as these days and that type of thing. 
What, what was it like over there? Well, it was a great, great experience, uh, Andrew. It came about because in those days, players started going out on loan during the off-season in England. So end of the season, some players would go on loan um, and, it, and it caught on. And, and the year I went, believe it or not, the, the, a club, the club, not, it wasn't, I went to Tampa Bay. There was another club came in for me to go at the end of that season. And you could, they, they stopped the loans. I think the English FA had stopped the loans. So you, you had to be sold. So believe it or not, in 1981, I was sold by Luton Town to Tampa Bay Rowdies for one pound or one dollar with a clause that they would buy me back for one pound or one dollar. That's a true story. What a waste of time. Yeah, because you couldn't go on loan. You had to be a permanent transfer. I get why, but surely that's the most obvious loophole ever. (laughs) Yeah, that probably only lasted for one season. But um, the, the the opportunity to go there was too good to turn down. Um, and I had a young family at the time, so take the two girls with us. Um, got a, got a, got given an apartment in Tampa. Uh, I think I was there nearly maybe four months, and it, fantastic for the kids. Uh, great, great experience. You know, they missed a bit of school, but I tell you what, life experience worth the education alone. So fantastic. Um, the football, believe it or not, was. It was good, or soccer, as they call it, as Marvin were well known. Uh, The soccer over there. Uh, There were some good players there. A lot of English players maybe coming to the end of their career, the likes of George Best and Frank Worthington, who was in the team I played for at Tampa. John Gorman, the uh, Spurs and ex-England assistant manager, ex-Swindon manager. John was in Tampa. There were some South American players. There were um, Eastern European players. There was a great blend and it was it was a good it was a good team and it was a good experience for me. I loved it. Um, played in some great stadiums, visited unbelievable cities in in the states. Uh, sometimes because of the travel, my first trip was a ten day trip. My wife thought I was just going overnight because we were playing on the we were playing on the west coast. I said no, it's a ten night trip. <laughs> so we played because of the distance. We flew to the west coast and we played three matches over a period of a week. So we'd go two days before the first game and come back the day after the last game. So it was a 10-day road trip to play three matches because you you know the, the vastness of the country. Uh, yeah. So that was new That was new for me. And it was a little bit tough on the on my, my wife and the kids, you know, that they were sort of thrown in at the deep end for, for 10 days. But the club were brilliant. They looked after them, made sure everything was okay. Uh, we had transport. So, uh, but, but I enjoyed the football. Managed to score a few goals. We got into the playoffs when we looked like we wouldn't get into the playoffs. Uh, played at New York, the New York Stadium, with about 60,000 people in there. And eventually, they knocked us out of the playoffs. But um, wonderful. And I, w- I was hoping to go back the next year. But um, a team in San Diego, San Diego Soccers, came in for me for the next season. And the, the manager rang me up just before we were playing. It was on a Friday night, actually, before we were playing on the Saturday. And he said, you fancy coming over to San Diego for the season? And I was like, yes, of course I do. And then lo and behold, the next game against Watford, I broke my collarbone. And uh, that went my chance of going back to the States. uh, That was the last chance I had, really. It was a bit of a blow, to put it bluntly. Yeah. I mean, the the way it works, you hear players right now 
and rightly or wrongly so, saying that they're overworked and too many games. And yet you're saying that you were quite happy to go over there in the off-season. Um, how do you think that affected your fitness levels? I don't think it did, Andrew, to be honest. I came back, I, I'd finished playing, and I think, I think I'm right in saying that I came back to England on the Wednesday. David Pleat rang me Wednesday night and said, how do you feel? I said, I feel fine. We just we only played three days ago. And uh, he said, right, I want you to come and train tomorrow. So I flew back in from the States on Wednesday, trained on the Thursday and Friday at Luton, and I played on the Saturday at uh, Leicester City. Now, what sports science would make of that nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it paid off because... That's quite interesting, yeah. Well, believe it or not, it paid off because I, I created two goals for Steve White and we won 2-1. So <sighs> I didn't. my fitness was fine at the time. I didn't feel any kind of tiredness or, you know, get on with it, don't you? And some of the Luton fans are going to wish he'd bugger off to America more often if he comes back and plays <laughs> Yeah, permanently, most of them. <laughs> so we'll move back we'll move into midfield um, where do you want to start on the midfield three well the midfield three are going to have one anchor man a left sider yeah. and a right sider and the anchor man is a multi-experienced football man um, were he... you assistant to him sorry mate were you assistant, assistant manager assistant. or a coach under him yes for many years yeah. and he was captain so Brian sorry sorry Marv as he was captain, oh, yeah, you're right, Brian. As he was captain as well, he, he was captain, yeah. And he, he, um, believe it or not, when I played at Swindon and, and, and Brian was at uh, Brighton, he would be on my back for 90 minutes of a game, either trying to kick me or verbally abusing me for 90 minutes. And when he came to Luton, this is true, I was in America when they signed him. When Luton signed a uh, Nobby, I was in, in the States, and Pleaty rang me. And he said, I've got a new skipper. And I went, oh, who's that? Brian Orton. I said, oh, no, he hates me. And David went, what? I said, yeah, he hates me. We don't get on. And of course we got on. As soon as he came to Luton, we became good mates. Um, and like you say, I, I was. he gave me a coaching job at Oxford. I became his assistant, went to Man City with him, went to Huddersfield with him as a coach. Um, still keep in touch every couple of weeks nowadays. So we, we became best mates, although... Even at Luton, Marvin, he was on my back for 90 minutes having a go at me. I used to say to him, for God's sake, get off my back. <laughs> what, what did he bring to the team that Luton were missing at that stage? That they would, Sorry, Andrew, I missed that. So what did he bring to the team that Luton, Luton were missing at that stage? Because he came straight as captain. I think it was that, it was that leadership and the, the winning and success mentality that he had. He got promotions before with Brighton. Uh, he was the club captain for a long time and, and he was captain of some very good players at Brighton and they were a good team. And, and I think he had two promotions with them, but he just had leadership qualities and not just on the field, but off the field as well. He would get the, he would get the lads together and he, we had a great team spirit over those couple of three years, three or four years that he was with us. And I think it's something, even after Brian left, something that sort of continued because it proved to be vital for us. It, it, I think the year we got promotion in Brian's first year, the, the team spirit and that got us through it at certain times when maybe we were uh, feeling a little bit of the pressure and not performing greatly and, and scraping a few draws and we should have been doing better. 
I think it, I think he got us over the line. Fantastic! Oh, great man, great man. So, can I mention so some other ones? Awesome. Though, yes, yeah, of yes. course, mention oh, yeah. them. Yeah. Obviously, your centre midfields. Peter Nicholas came in uh, again when I said Fozzie and Mick came in, and, and he came in at the same time. Tremendous player, but I was only there for half a season with with Nico, but he he would have been similar type of player, I would imagine. You would have played with him, would you? Would you play with him, Mark? I I I, I was there at the club um, when he was there, but I didn't. I think just before I got into the team, Nico had just moved on. But like you said, um, such a um, an inspirational character. Who, I mean, I'm sure you can remember back in the time. Um, the, the, the hard men of the game was Sunis. And I can remember seeing Nico like going head to head with this guy in a 50-50 challenge. And that, that's, that's something which people didn't want to do with Sunis. And you, but you know as well as I do that he was, Nico was tough, really, really tough. He, he was a hard footballer, mate. Yeah. He, was, he was mentally tough and physically tough. Not the quickest. No. Sometimes when his tackles were, you know, he, he may have caught somebody a bit late just above the knee. And he would say to the referee, I got there as quick as I could, ref. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to mention one other brilliant footballer, brilliant guy, Luton legend that's no longer with us, Raddy Antich, yeah. centre midfield player, um, ahead of his time. He was a midfield player that could play as a sweeper and push into midfield. He could have the ball. He could pass the ball. He could, he could look away and pass it the other way, like you see players doing now. He, Raddy was doing that 40 years ago, 30 years ago. You know, he's a brilliant player and a lovely guy. It's so sad that he's no longer with us. But my defensive, the hub of everything, would be the skipper, Brian Horton. Excellent. Fantastic. So we'll, we'll move on to the, to the right or the left, wherever you want to go. Yeah, left side gave me a few more options. Um, players that played in that position when I first joined the club, Lil Fachillo. Yeah. Lil yeah. was... Lil was probably rated at the time as maybe the best player in the club when I first joined Lou. He was the, the sort of leader on the pitch and the, the, the go-to player. Uh, confident, great skill, great left foot. Had a terrible, terrible injury at broken leg at Brighton. I played in the game. It was disgusting, the tackle. Um, I, 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 just to pause you there, I read about that on social media. I can't remember who it was wrote about it a couple of days ago. Um Apparently, the Italian FA were over to Brighton to watch the game because he was about to be called up to the Italian team. So, so the rumour has it. And if he hadn't broken his leg, he was going to be in the um, next Italian squad. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know, but he was good enough. Certainly, at that time, Lil was good enough. And I was quite close to the incident when uh, the tackle went in. And I think it was absolutely awful. And you just knew immediately that the lad was in, in trouble. Um, and he came back, you know, he fought back and he, I think he came back and, and although he thought he was fit to play and the medics thought he was fit to play, I don't think the, the break had, or the fracture had healed properly and it went again almost immediately. So two broken legs, still came back and got into the first team. Um, probably not quite the player he was before the broken legs, which is, which is a shame. Other players worth a mention. Another player that was there when I first joined the club, Alan West, tremendous footballer, lovely footballer, Westy, lovely gentleman as well. Nice guy when I first came to the club, always helpful. Uh, 
I don't think anybody had a bad word for Alan West. Lovely guy, but a but a brilliant footballer. And he could make a pass and he could ping the ball and he could score a goal. So West, the younger players coming through then, what Frankie Bunn, Wayne Turner. Wayne played a lot of his first team football at left side midfield. Another one that's a little bit bordering on the insane, Wayne, but a great lad. Um, Frankie Byrne did did a smashing job, went on to Hull City and had a, a good career in league football. And of course, Priestley came in again, 84, 85. When, that was my last season. David Priest was a wonderful player, no longer with us, um, which is very, very sad. Left us at a young age, so but a brilliant footballer. I remember when he made his debut signing from Warsaw and I thought, wow, this kid, this kid can play. He's only like five foot nothing, but yeah. my word, he can play. But a lot of soul searching and I had to go for the one who probably played the most games in that position while I was at the club and that's Alan West. Yeah, very, very underrated, I think. Yeah. But he's not I, I, I mean, out there. he's not showy, he's not gobby, he's, he's really underrated, I think. But like you said, um, a, a really good player. A lot of people, I mean, Ricky's mentioned about him, like a, an out-and-out out real good, good top player who, like like you said, plays, let, let, probably didn't give the ball away, hardly gave the ball away. He was just someone you could rely on week in, week out, who was consistent, he said. Yeah, top player, mate. Top player. Fantastic. So we've got Alan West on the left, on the right-hand side. The worst kept secret ever, I should. Worst kept secret in football, this. <laughs> you know what? It was a shame. I'm gonna, always, I am going to mention. I am gonna like mention. Sorry, Andrew. It almost felt like it was a secret that so many England managers didn't even know he existed. That's how much of a secret it was. Tragic. Tragic, mate. Um, I'm going to mention a young lad, though, uh, who, who came in the team during the, the great FA Cup run, actually, in 1985. He played for Forest. Yeah, went to Forest. Villa. Villa. Went to Hull City, first of all, didn't he? With yes, Brian. he did. I, I, I was in digs with him um, initially at the start when I first with Mrs. Goff, when he when I first joined as an apprentice. And um, he, he like, sort of like t- took me underneath his wing because he was from Oxford, obviously, and I was right. from Ellsbury. And um, I was in digs with him. And it was one of them like where... He, you know, Gary Parker's obviously everyone we're talking about, but like even as a, as a young lad, I could see how gifted this this lad was. Even though he's still like a young player, he was so gifted and talented. And I was a little bit like gutted, obviously, when he got sold to Hull. I originally when he got sold because I thought like, oh my gosh, he's I think he's really really good. But he did went on to have a fantastic career. He was a brilliant footballer, Marvin Parks. He could pass the ball. He had no real speed, he had no pace, but he could get away from people with clever footwork and maybe a quick one too, you know what it's like. Mm. And he could ping a ball, he'd score a goal. Um, And probably leaving and going to Hull and then moving on probably helped his career maybe develop a little bit quicker Mm. because he went and played regular first-team football with Nobby at Hull. And, of course, then the rest is history, Forrest and and Aston Villa. Um, but of course, you know, the, the legend who's going to be on the right side of midfield, uh, probably one of the best players that I've ever played with. Uh, lovely man, absolute legend at the club, uh, could do anything with the football. I used to just sit back and watch him sometimes in training. I, I would be practising crossing and I'd be practising shooting and 
Steenie would be doing the same with his finishing, but Ricky would have a ball to himself and practising his individual skills. And I sometimes used to just watch and go, I'm not even going to attempt to do what he's doing because he's a genius. <laughs> the guy was a genius. But when you, when you add that in the mix to a great guy, a football brain, the heart of a lion, an athlete, you've got some player there. And like Andrew said, he won three, three, no, one cap, was it? Or one England no, no, cap? Two or three. I think it might have been two or three. I think it might have been two. Yeah. I think he went France and Germany. It might have been two. France and Germany, I could be wrong. It was France and Germany. I know he went to France and um, he was such a player. Because, like I said earlier, the way we played, we were a little bit unbalanced with our front three not having a real right winger. So, Ricky, as soon as the, the opposition left back, if the left back started making progress with the ball, the first man over, and Nobby would push him over, would be Ricky. So he then becomes the right-sided midfield player. Nobby sh shuffles over. The left-side midfield player shuffles over. So although we were a little bit unbalanced, we did it well. And if it, if it got past Ricky, then, you, you know, you've got Basher in there as well. So we, we, cope, we cope reasonably well. We, and with David as a coach, we didn't really worry too much. He used to say, what left-backs are going to really hurt us? If the left-back gets out and Ricky can't get across in time, are they really going to damage us? You know, that's what he used to say. It's probably fact. Mm. But mm. a wonderful footballer and a, a great guy, Ricky, a, a legend, and rightly so. Definitely. Definitely. And he also went on to manage, ironically, or kind of strange, that they did they match, obviously, went on to manage the, the team in America that you play for, which I think is a bit of a strange coincidence. And I think he won the title over there, didn't he, with him, Mark? Rowdies, yes. With, with Rowdies, Tampa Bay Rowdies, yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. A strange coincidence there. So, Ricky... And West, Brian Horton in the midfield. Let's go up to the front three. Front three. Where do you want to? How do you want to do this? Which way do you want to go? Left, right, or where do you want to go? Central? Where? I'll start start with the centres, the central ones. Centre forward. And I've got number nine. We'll start with the number nine. Okay. And I've got three real top ones from from Luton. I've got Walshy, Mick Harford, and Steve White as the nine. You know, Whitey came. 1979-79-80, scored 21 goals, I think, in the in the year we won the second division. Um, did fantastic. Did fantastic for the club. Not appreciated, possibly, when he first came to the club, but a runner, a worker, ran the channels, put defenders under pressure, and once the goals started flowing, uh, ended up having a really good goal-scoring record at Luton. And he, he actually went on to my old club at Swindon and became a, a bit of a legend at Swindon. I think he had a few seasons there where he just couldn't stop scoring. So White is in there. The great Mick Harford, who, again, 1984, I left in 85. But I played a few games with Mick. And if Mick told me to cross the ball, I crossed the ball because he just <laughs> used to stare at me and I, he scared me. But he also, he also then used to deliver with it. It wasn't a case of whipping it in there and nothing happened. You could, he generally did something with the ball. Do you know what I mean? He was, you know what, he, he wasn't given the credit initially that, that he deserved. He was a better football than people gave him credit for. They thought he was just strong, good in the air, physical, he's going to out-muscle defenders. He was miles better than them. You put a ball up from back to front and Mick Harford, nine times out of ten, would get hold of it, hold defenders off and then obviously bring other people into the game. But attacking across, he's the best I've seen for 
possibly the best I've ever seen. If you put a ball in the box, he used to say to me when we were walking out that for matches, whoever he was playing against, he'd, he'd just look and just say, just hang it up, hang it up to the far post, I'll win it. And nine times out of 10, he would. And I'm glad I wasn't having the, the one having to try to mark him. But the other one I'm going to give a, a real mention to is a great friend of mine and a wonderful footballer. Went on to Liverpool, went on to Spurs, played for England. Brilliant, brilliant dribbler of the ball. Great footballer. Another one that somehow David Pleat stole from another. You know, he had a knack of doing it, didn't he? A knack of yeah. doing it with yeah. these, with these um, players that were went on to great things, went on to international football, went on to play in European Cup finals. David got in for next to nothing. Well, and I, I actually left somebody out of the centre-backs who came in the similar vein as Walshy, which is Paul Elliott. Paul was obviously a top-class centre-back as well. And another one that tragically had a, a bad knee injury that probably ended his career. Pleaty, I think, stole him and Walshy from Charlton Athletic somehow. But great signings for the club. So my three for the number nine are Walshy, Harford and Whitey. And I've plumped for the one I probably played the most games with, and that's Walshy. I mean, yeah. I mean, like you said, a terrific. Um, and another one who we had Adam as a guest here, who spoke freely and spoke quite open about um, his career. And then, like you said, I, I, I think when I was doing the research, he was he was in the full England team at nineteen or squad at nineteen when he was just on the just signed for Luton as a nineteen-year-old. Pretty remarkable. In I mean, back then it wasn't a case. I mean, one. I mean, everyone won't mind me saying Luton are not like a, a Manchester United, a Chelsea, or a Liverpool, where yeah, you get the odd nineteen-year-old of them, maybe like a Fowler, who would get into an England team probably at yeah. that age, or Michael Owen. But we're talking about Luton and Paul Walsh, who's nineteen and just signed from Charlton, getting the full England team on a regular, um, a regular basis. So it just speaks volumes of. What sort of quality of player you're talking about here, Mossy? That's how good he was, Marvin. He was, you could, you, although he was small, he was strong, Bolshe. He was a strong and he, he didn't, you know, he didn't mind the challenges coming in from the back. But his touch and control, he could, he could ride challenges. He was low centre of gravity. number of times I've seen centre-backs come in to kick him and he would just ride, ride the challenge and go away from them with the ball. Uh, he made my job easier because... I, I used to love flicking the ball around the corner with my right foot into the front players. And, and I had some of the best, Walshy, Steeny, Bob Hatton were the best. If I if I whipped the ball around the corner, they were there. I, I could have done it with my eyes closed. I knew they were there. And, and Walshy would get hold of it. And, and I'm thinking, this is a 19-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid. And, and we're playing against Arsenal, David O'Leary and people like this, just getting the ball and turning away from them. So clever. And a good lad as well, Walshy. Um, another who had a smashing career, but um, still keep in touch with him, along with Wayne and, and one or two others. So it, we'll be seeing him again next week. So I'll uh, I'll tell him that he got lucky and he got in my team. <laughs> um, I will Please. give you an opportunity. Right? I'm just going to put this out there. I will give you, and I know a lot of fans and probably a lot of um, the pros who've had on there. I'm going to ask you the question that everybody's been throwing at you, Mossy. That you don't like to head a ball. Is that true? No, it's not true. The amount of, have you listened to some of them? The amount of your, your, I, I, yeah, but that at what you. I do, what I do now, I play up to it, Andrew. All right. Okay. I play up to it now. No, I was hopeless in the air. 
But if it meant a goal, I would head the ball. I wasn't getting knocked unconscious on the halfway line where it doesn't matter. <laughs> but if I if I had a chance of scoring with my, do you know somebody told me not too long ago I scored 16 headers in my career in professional football. Now oh, well, you must have been on some goal bonus. <laughs> Mark, I'm, I'm amazed myself that I headed it 16 times. Never mind scored 16 goals. I didn't I didn't like it. If I could avoid it, I would. But if it meant a goal, I would head it. It wouldn't bother me. But I, I've played up to it over the years. And a lot of the stories have become, you know, like, it's like the old angler, and the fishy court gets bigger every every year and every time the story is told. Well, that, that story gets more and more far-fetched. But I admit, hand up, I was hopeless in the air. I didn't want to. But if it meant a goal or a chance, I would. <laughs> no, thanks, go, thanks for doing that and clearing that up. Yeah, everybody who's mentioned that, there you go. <laughs> it had to be R. It had to be R. Um, great. So, either side of Walshie, where are we going? Right. Left or right? Well, I'll go on the right, and I'm going to go for another young striker that was at Luton, signed a few months before I joined the club. In, I think he joined in 77, 78. Um, at the time, when I first came, I thought, he's raw. But he's got something. His touch wasn't always the best. He was a little bit messy in front of goal, a little bit untidy, but developed into a top class. And I mean a real top class striker that would you'd be talking in terms of the, the high 50, 60, 70 million nowadays if he was playing. Became a wonderful footballer and a great servant to, to Luton. I'm going to mention one who came same time as me as well. He was a very experienced, what they used to call... And it's a bit insulting to him, a journeyman striker. I think he had about, went on to have 10 or 12 different clubs, but a brilliant, brilliant player. And I think my selection for the, the, the right side striker learned so much off this guy. Anybody, any idea who the, who the experienced guy might be? The experienced guy, I'm going to say, is Bob Hatton. You're right, Marvin, Bob Hatton. Bob Hatton. And then the, the one on the right hand side who you're picking is Brian Steen. You're right, mate. Yeah. And Brian, I think by his own admission, he would say he learned so much from Bob. In the two years that Bob was with us, he educated me as a, as a, as a winger, as well as educating Brian as a, as, a, as a striker. So an inspired signing for a couple of years, Bob, and a brilliant, brilliant player. But yeah, Brian Steen, another Luton legend, developed into a, an international player. And uh, him and Ricky just gelled on that right-hand side. Some of the link-up play was uh, unbelievable. Nowadays, they would be drooling over it. Mm. They talk about, nowadays, about all this, um, you know, fast on the break and uh, what do they call it, transitions yeah. and yeah. counter-attacks and, and all this. We, we were probably... It, for a couple of years at Luton, we were probably the best counter-attacking team in the country. And if you watch some of the old videos of some of the goals we scored from our own penalty box or off our off, off a throw-out from the goalkeeper, etc., we used to be as, as quick as any team that I see now trying to counter-attack and trying to, um, on transitions, trying to trying to score, mate. We, we were good. And Brian and Ricky and Kirk on the right-hand side were instrumental in that. No, I totally agree with that, Mossy, what you've just said about the counter-attack. Obviously, like I said, um, growing up and being in, a, um, in and around the club, I saw that and witnessed that uh, um, firsthand watching the games and obviously seeing stuff on 
on the box. But was was that something which David would like coach you guys to play that way, or was that something which you guys just naturally um, progressed into just the way how you played, just play freely? I think I think the the more it went on, Marvin, I think it, it became quite natural to us. But initially, we used to do a lot of work in uh, in training with no opposition. So we're, we line up in the formation that we're going to play on Saturday, but we'd have no opposition. We'd have the ball, so we'd all get plenty of touches. And a lot of it was moving the ball quickly and breaking quick. So if, if Jake rolled the ball to Kirk and he passes it in field to Nobby, who then gives it to, to Ricky, then we look in the final third, we look to be uh, creative. We don't just play, oh, I'm going to pass it to Steen, he's going to give it. We try to... Um, what do you call it? As we as we got into the attacking third, then we're going to create. So as quickly as possible, not kicking the ball long, get yeah. into the opposition yeah. back third as quickly as possible. And then we try to be creative in there. So it could be playing one-twos. It could be a, a little step over where you let the ball run through your legs. He encouraged all of that, Pleaty, but it was all done at pace. And I, I've, since I've packed in and, and I've, been shown a lot of the old videos from those days. It, it's relevant to, to the game today, the way the way teams want to play. So it's not all about the modern game. Yeah. Well, football did exist before it died. Yes, you're right. And some good footballers and some good footballers as well, mate. <laughs> Excellent. So, who's going on the other side? Who is taking your position? Or has he picked himself, Marvin? I'm going for a my hero. When I was growing up, and remember, I sat, I was a, I was a Swindon supporter, right? Yeah. I watched this lad play for Swindon when I was 10, 11 years old, and I wanted to be him. Um, the best winger I've ever seen, even to this day, never seen a better natural winger than him. Um, unfortunately for me, when I was just breaking through into the first team at Swindon, he was sold, and I had to take his place. And bearing in mind, I'm taking the pace, place of a, a legend and an absolute wonderful player. And he scored, I think one season, he scored 28 goals and he was just phenomenal. Two-footed, as quick was as he an international, Mossy? No, Marvin, he didn't even play for England because he played all of his career. Well, no, the best years of his career was at Swindon. He ended up going to Crystal Palace and Queen's Park Rangers. But quick, they, t- they tell me now... Players are quicker. Nobody was quicker than he was in those days. He could finish with both feet. He could chip the goalkeeper. He could do everything. And I had to replace him in the Swindon team. I had no chance. I got slaughtered um, from day one. Gilligan? No. A long time a long time before your before, days, Mark. Yeah, but I've done some research. We do our research. Um, Hugh McLean? No, before him. Before him? He was an absolute... He's still now... One of the stands is named after him at Swindon. I think they'll probably name one of the bars after me at Swindon. And do you, you didn't, can you think of anyone? Um, it wasn't an international. Oh, oh no, not Peter Eastro. Eastro? No, Peter. No, no, Eastie was a he was a striker. I might have to put you out of your misery. Yeah, you're gonna have to go on because because I. I modelled my game on him. I watched him in training. I trained with him. I, I wanted to be him. I was never I was never at his level. My all-time hero, Don Rogers. If you if you get a chance, Marv, YouTube some of his uh, goals from QPR and and uh, 
Crystal Palace. Right. Absolutely. Donald, I had it. I had it. He was on the list. Donald Donald Rogers. Right? He, was, he was on the list along with Les Allen and Tommy Jenkins. I didn't. I didn't in my in my sights. Yeah. Hey, he was a proper player, mate. He was an original old sort of old style winger, uh, but goal scorer, goal creator, dribbler, everything. How it, it, had he moved? He, he moved when he was 26, 27. He went to Crystal Palace. If he had gone to the first division when he was 21, 22, he, he would have been a regular England player. He was that good. Fantastic player. And like I say, that was the toughest 12, 18 months because I wore his shirt and I was not fit to wear his shirt. I wasn't good enough at the time to wear his shirt. I got some, I got some abuse, to be fair, but I had to come through it or otherwise I would have uh, disappeared. And you're a Swindon fan yourself, so you met him a few times since. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, listen, Andrew, just to go and train and watch him every day was fantastic. Well, I, used to, I got his autograph when I was like 12, 13 years of age and he... We'd drawn, I think Swindon had drawn at the First Division Club in the FA Cup, and we were queuing for tickets. And Don just walked along, walked past everybody, and they're going, that's Don Rod, that's Don Rod. It wouldn't happen nowadays, you know. A, fans wouldn't be queuing around the corner, and B, your star player wouldn't be walking past. Yeah. But I got his autograph all those years ago. I told him when I signed for Swindon, I said, I got your autograph. And he just smiled at me, just laughed. He wasn't a great talker. Wasn't a big joker. He was just a wonderful footballer, mate. I was in awe of him, I must admit. That's fantastic. But it's a good team, Marv. I think it would it's give really some... It's really nice to hear, I think, the young kids that you, you rate your, your hero. Yeah, mate. I, I could never put myself ahead of him. I was honoured to follow him into the team, but it was a tough it was a tough gig, mate, I tell you. So, fantastic. Who, who, who have you got, Mossy, then? Who, which manager, then, you've, um, you've, you've come across... Is going to be the right the right one to lead this team. I mean, and make them run, chase the dog. <laughs> can, you, can you see? Can you see um, Paul Walsh running after a dog? Not Walsh, you know, but I could see Wayne Turner doing it just for the crack. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, but yeah. Who's the, um, who's the manager? Who's going to be the manager to lead this eleven? Which uh, manager? Only, I, I I played for some good managers and coaches, mate. But there's only one for me. He took me out of the third division gave me an opportunity to play in the first division eventually and help my development as a player. There's only one man, it's David Pleat, and he would get that team playing. Fantastic. Especially if you had Don Rogers on the wing instead of me, they'd be miles better. <laughs> Before you go into, um, obviously, I mean, you've already mentioned what David Pleat um, did for you. You, you also played for um, the big um, Dave Mackay, I believe. Dave, yeah. Fantastic guy. Like? Brilliant guy, Marvin. He gave me my debut. I'd be nowhere near the first team at Swindon. And because of circumstances, I think Dave was 36 or 37 when he signed for Swindon as player, player coach. He wasn't really a coach, but because of his name, he was given the role of player coach. And he must have seen something in training that he liked in me because after they'd sold Don, uh, he started putting me on the bench for the first team. And I'd been... I didn't even used to train with the first team. I'd be nowhere near it. I thought my days of, I'd have to move on or, or just go and go back and get a job or something. But he came in and he said, you're training with the first team. You're with us on Saturday. You, you might not be on the bench. Only one sub in those days, but you'll be, you're in the 13 to travel. You're in, you know what I mean? He started yeah. involving me. And the biggest thing from a personal point of view that Dave Mackay did for me, I was, 
I was married very young. I was married at 19, became a dad at 20, and I was living in a pokey flat above a workshop in uh, Swindon. And Dave Mackay called me in the office one day. He said, where do you live? And I said, oh, I've got this, this flat. What's it like? I said, it's all right for the time being. And I said, I'm obviously looking for something better, but we've got a baby. We, we can't afford it. And, uh, so the first thing he did for me, he gave me a new contract with more money. And I'd not even played for the first team. because He, he must have really play. liked you then. He saw something in you then, must he? Yeah, well, he, he was a good person. Because I was married and I'd got a little baby, because uh, it was a hard struggle, you know, in the early days, as you probably know. It, mm. it's, it's tough. You don't, you're not making a fortune. And then after a few months living in this flat, I knew Swindon, the club, had some te- uh, club houses, which they housed new signings in. So a new signing would come and they'd put them in there until the, the new signing decided whether he was going to buy a house or rent a house or do that. And I won't, I won't make the story too long, but Dave called me in one day and he didn't have to. He said, uh, I've been, I'm taking the Knott's Forest job. He told me, I'm like, I'm not even a first team player. I'm going to Knott's Forest. No, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I've played, you gave me my debut. I've played two games for the first team. I've been sub and I've scored a couple of goals. Now you're telling me you're going to, oh, I'm really sorry, but I'm sad. And he, he gave me some keys and he said, but before I go, go and take these keys into the uh, club secretary. He's got something for you. And they were keys to a clubhouse. So that was Dave Mackay. He didn't have to do that. He was leaving Swindon to go as manager at Notts Forest. But on the day he left, he had arranged for me to, to move into a, a clubhouse. Wow. So in my estimation, that guy is right up there. But to manage this teammate, David, without a shadow of doubt. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Excellent. Definitely. Awesome. Um, so, what are you, what we always like to end, end the podcast with some of the listeners want to know kind of what you're up to these days. I know, obviously, like I mentioned before, you've been assistant manager, you've been manager at Macclesfield. What are you up to? What are you up to these days? Um, what, what have you been up to in between football as well? I'm kind of retired at the moment, but not permanently. Uh, I went to Manchester City with Brian Horton. When Brian left and went to Huddersfield, I went there with him. I went to Macclesfield on my own. I was at Stockport as assistant manager for three or four years in the what is the championship now? But they were first division. It was the first division then. So Stockport County, who are now in the conference or the national league, we were in the, the second tier. Had a good few years there, um, and then after Macclesfield, I was working part time for Liverpool scouting. And I got this fantastic opportunity to go full-time at the academy as the chief scout. And basically, that was nine, That was 2007. I think that was 2006, 2007. So I was there for 13, over 13 years as chief scout at Liverpool Academy. So uh, very honoured to have done that. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed every minute of it. Travelled all over the world. I wasn't just scouting in England. I was scouting worldwide mainly in Europe but also I've done South America and I've done New Zealand and uh, the Middle East and what have you so great days great times semi-retired because of the Covid and what have you I I had to take a step back and you know recharge the batteries and see what I want to do for the rest of my life so I will be doing something I've got something in the pipeline now I can't really say too much about it but it it is on the on the um, scouting side and another nice opportunity for me, but nothing official yet. So whilst I'm at home and I look as if I'm retired, I'm not really. I'm still 
beavering away in the background. Looking forward to the next venture. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, Marcy, well, I'd like I'm... to... Go on yeah, in, Andrew. Go on. I don't know, I was going to say, on behalf of Andrew and myself, I want to thank you for coming on to the, the podcast. Um, it's been long awaited. And um, I hope you've been enjoyed it as much as, as we have. I've loved every minute of it, Marvin. I've been... It, it was like a pre-match today. I've been ready. Like you say, I switched on at 12 o'clock. <laughs> I had my pre-match meal and coffee, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And I thought, uh, I just hope it's gone well, mate. I really... No, I really no, it's been, I mean, it's been it. great. It's and been talking, great. talking about some, you know, not just players I played with, but they're, they're still friends and ex-friends, you know, who are no longer with us. So it's great, great opportunity. And... I consider myself lucky to have played with these guys and still be friends with them. And like I say, we're meeting up next week and no doubt one or two will have watched this and I'll be getting almighty stick because I've left them out. <laughs> but I can, I can put up with that, mate. And it's been a pleasure yeah, that, talking to you guys. No, thank you, Rossi. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And that was David Moss's My Best Eleven. <laughs>